Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing career coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise.io online and join today. Today, my guest is Nina Bowman. Nina is at Paravis Partners and is an executive coach, facilitator, and leadership development consultant. She has expertise in assessing and coaching senior-level leaders from across the globe and has trained and coached hundreds of leaders from a wide variety of sectors, including professional services, financial services, technology, private equity, healthcare, pharmaceuticals, consumer products, and education. Prior to joining Paravis, Nina was a principal and founding partner of Bowman Consulting, a career management services firm for senior executives. She was also a client partner with Corn Ferry, where she specialized in the recruitment an assessment of senior level executives in the professional services and technology sectors. Prior to joining Corn Ferry, Nina was a strategy consultant with Accenture and was a senior director of corporate strategy for a high growth consultancy. Nina is the author of the LinkedIn course, How to Coach Your Team to Think and Act Strategically, as well as a contributing author to the Harvard Business Review Guide to Coaching Employees and the HBR Guide to Thinking Strategically. She is also a public speaker and writer on various career management and leadership topics. Nina holds an MBA from Harvard Business School, an undergraduate degree in economics from Brown University, and a leadership coaching certification from Georgetown University. She resides in the Boston area. Nina, welcome, and thanks for making time for this. I appreciate it. You're welcome, JR, and thanks for having me today. Yeah, let's start with what you're doing today. So you're a partner in executive coaching and leadership development business. Give our audience a sense of what your business entails. Sure. Paravis Partners, my firm, as you said, it's executive coaching, it's it's leadership development firm, and I co-own and manage it with two other business partners. And we have a team of what we call consulting partners, independent contractors that work with us to, to service our clients. And we do executive coaching, obviously, at the senior and C-level. We also do assessments and diagnostics to help those leaders get a better sense of, of where they are at the start of the process. And we provide other tools, whether they be we do interviews in order to help them improve their self-awareness, but we also have a whole cadre of other assessment tools that can be used to deepen their self-awareness. In terms of, of other services, we do a lot of work in team alignment. So working with leadership teams to align everyone on the team, whether that be strategic alignment or aligning communication 
styles, managing team dynamics. That's a lot of facilitation work or team coaching work in order to get the teams to work more effectively together. And then other aspects of what we do are just speaking, talking at various executive events or holding webinars for different organizations on some of the topics that we help leaders work through. Are there particular industries that you tend to focus on? You mentioned senior C-level executives. What when industries do they typically come from? Yeah. So we really work across industries and, and are focused on the discipline of leadership development across any industry. But our firm does have a strong bench of folks that are in Boston and the D.C., Maryland, Virginia. So a good deal of our work comes from those areas, but also across the country as well. In those areas, you tend to work in industries that are near you. So for me, that means life sciences. It means financial services and the many disciplines under that, whether it's asset management firms or private equity companies. And down in D.C., a whole cadre of professional services firms. And so we definitely have deep experience in those areas, but really there isn't an industry we haven't worked in at this point, I think, and and really do focus on the discipline of leadership. What are some of the most prevalent issues that your, or topics that your clients come to you with and ask for help with? Yeah. So there's a range. There really is, but often It's about scaling leadership, right? When you think about, even if we, I'm sure if we think about our own careers and how we've gone from one organization to the next over the range of our careers, sometimes you get to a place where you realize that what you were doing before may not necessarily be working as well now, or you're not adjusting for the context. And so really helping individuals scale their leadership for what they need to do now. That's a big theme. I would say alignment, alignment of stakeholders in order to get the results that that the leader is working towards whether that means working with their boards and aligning with the boards or aligning their leadership team or aligning the organization to into what it needs to transform into. So we're supporting the leader through all of that. Also, just building, again, effective leadership teams, helping with leadership presence and voice that's needed. Again, very context specific in terms of how they might need to show up to do the job that they're doing now. And and helping them understand how that presence or voice might need to adjust for the task at hand. There are also aspects of just managing complexity, right? These are big jobs and there's a lot of complexity and helping them think, how do we prioritize? How do we cut through the noise a little bit to bring focus to what we're trying to do so that we can get to the impact faster? When your clients come to you, you talked about doing assessments earlier. Do they come with a fairly high degree of self-awareness or is that a big need for a lot of them when they first become your client? Yeah. As you might imagine, there's a range. There really is. But because we work with pretty senior leaders, they got to where they are because they likely have some aspect, some element of self-awareness. But I think most good leaders recognize that it's an ongoing process to deepen self-awareness and and you have to do that work in an ongoing way. So even when we have someone who's self-aware, it's self-aware in what context and helping them think about how to continue to evolve in that. There are many ways in which we help them to deepen that. Sometimes it's at the beginning of the engagement. We're doing some self-assessment work and it's certainly happening throughout an engagement. I know you're certified personally in a number of these, what are your go-to assessments? Do you feel like have the most value, the most, I'll say, research backing, credibility, whatever way you want to describe it? 
Absolutely. There are a few. One, I always like to do a qualitative assessment, which is an interview-based assessment. My preference is to start there because it's just so much richer in terms of helping you to understand the individual, but also understanding all the players. And so I do like to start, and our firm uses a lot of qualitative assessments. But in addition to that, I'm a big fan of the Enneagram. Again, most of our clients being pretty senior and having a deep level of self-awareness coming in, like that is a very deep assessment and it gets to our sort of deepest motives and understanding our behaviors in a way that maybe some other assessments don't necessarily do. So that is always, that is always a go-to. There's lots of debate and controversy about Myers-Briggs. I think it can still be very helpful in just understanding some basic patterns. So that is one that I like to engage as well, at least working with teams. And then there are some, some 360s that are really quite deep. The leadership circle profile is one of them. Again, it's one of those that takes you to a whole nother level at understanding yeah. why you do what you do. Yeah. So those are some of my, those are some of my go-tos. Yeah. I, I still remember when I first encountered Myers-Briggs, I think, which is the first of the bunch of these, it was like a revelation, maybe imperfect, but it, for me, it was still a revelation. Yeah, absolutely. There's always another layer that we can yeah. uncover. And I find even with clients who maybe have used one of those tools several years back, that bringing it current, they're picking up something different because they're noticing the nuances in, in their current context and what these things might mean and where they're leading now. So it can be helpful to pull them back out or refresh them and look at them with new eyes. And also folks have you know, grow, grown from stage to stage. And what does that next level of growth look like? them. Yeah. yeah. So knowing your starting point is always going to be important. Let's talk about some of the specific areas. You mentioned some earlier. We talked a little bit about this in our prep call a few weeks ago. In terms of setting a vision, right? That's a key role for a leader to think strategically, mm -hmm. to articulate that vision. Where do your clients struggle with that? And why do you think that's the case? Most of the struggle in setting a vision is there are just so many day-to-day -day demands that pull them from truly taking the time to think strategically. And it is about helping them manage that delicate balance between the day-to-day -day needs and urgencies and always looking down the pike. And that's the starting point. In some cases, they, they're more risk required in needing to do some of the things that we have to do today and understanding their comfort level with risk and how that intersects with the strategy that they're developing and the work that I do, yes, there, there may be some strategic skills that they need to deepen, but what's most important is understanding themselves around their risk tolerance, around their ability to cut out the noise. What are their habits and routines in order to do that? Do they have any routines where they're carving out time to think strategically? It's also important for them to realize that Doing that work well is whole person exercise. It's many times they're approaching it very intellectually, but they're not going to do their best creative thinking if they don't have great uh, routines for how they're taking care of themselves, how, how they're, they're taking care of their bodies, what they're putting in, what they're putting in their bodies, taking time to, to do mindfulness work. All of those things help them to be more creative and innovative thinkers. And yeah. so they have to think about the entire process yeah. and system, not just the intellectual work of figuring out the path forward. It's since you talked about sort of whole person, maybe let's go there next. What are the types of challenges I'd imagine 
where they focus their time, how they balance work and life would come up. But are there other things around just how they bring their authentic self to work and what that means and all of it you tend to get into on a fairly regular basis? Yeah, bringing their authentic self to work to me just means that they're not trying to lead in someone else's. They're not leaving their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions at the door when they come in. And most organizations need that. And most of their employees want that now. And I think we saw that through the pandemic that those who weren't able to really demonstrate the compassion and empathy for for what was going on and really thinking about the other and demonstrating that those leaders struggled through the pandemic. But I think there are lessons in that in what it really means to to bring their full selves, bring their full selves to work. Understanding their feelings, right? Understanding how they deal with crisis and what their reaction to crisis is. There still needs to be a balance, right? It's sort of yes, you bring your emotions and your feelings. But you have to do it in the in the context of what do my folks need from me yeah. right now? There has to be that balance that you can demonstrate the energy, you can demonstrate the feeling that's needed, but it, it's couched in that broader question of what do my folks need to feel right now? What do they need from me right now? And how do I bring that? Do, do you think that particularly with what's happened during and since the pandemic that that we're past this point of expecting our leaders to be perfect and expecting them to be invincible and all knowing and all mm-hmm. of that? Or are people still, I want to know who they are, but I also want to yeah. see some level of perfection in them. It has certainly lessened the expectation of perfection. And the pandemic isn't the only thing. I just think the technology shifts that have occurred, there's a different pace that's required in leading right now. And that means that you can't do it. Leaders have to first recognize that. I think employees more and more recognize that, but there's still a tension there, right? As I said, there's still an aspect of needing something from our leaders, right? And in times of crisis, we need them to bring a sense of calm, right? Now, we may realize that it's not a calm situation, but we are still needing that. And so I would say it's we're still at this perhaps imperfect place of having a better understanding that our leaders can't be all knowing and and so independent, but also having a feeling that we need a little bit of certainty in the uncertainty. And I think as as long as leaders understand that and use that knowledge, they can make that dynamic tension. They can work with it. It's a lot harder, though. Right. If you're a leader, it's one thing to say, okay, I've got to come in and bring my A game every day and look the part, talk the part, whatever. It's a lot harder to find a balance between doing enough of that that you're credible. That's right. But also showing vulnerability and empathy feels a lot harder. It is a lot harder. And I will say that the leaders who try to go it alone often stumble. Because the job is simply, it's just too big and no one person can really do it. And that's why we're seeing so much focus on leadership teams now. The demand and request for that work to get leadership teams work really effective to to be high performing. Those are requests that are coming in more and more because the leader needs the full team to work and work well. Helping them understand one another in a deeper way, pulling on the strengths 
of each individual on that team to know how to use them at different points. That means the leader has to really think about and understand, like, where do they lead from? And what has their experience taught them yeah. about being comfortable letting others lead and reshaping their own mindset about what's required of them. Many of them are coming from other organizations and there may still be some old mindsets in there. And so the leader has to really understand what's the mindset that drives them and shapes how they're working with their team, how they're working with their full organization and be able to say, is that the mindset that's really needed right now? And if it's not, how do I shed that and do something different that's going to allow me and my team to really work in tandem and bring the full strength of the team to bear on what are extremely complex problems right now and challenges? Yeah. You talk about team leaders got a lot of relationships to manage, right? If they're a CEO, they've got to manage relationships with the board. If they're anybody else, they've got to manage relationships with their boss and their peers and their direct reports and people in other parts of the company. How much of a factor are relationship issues in the work that you do with your clients? And how do you help your clients kind of work through that process of taking stock of relationships and figuring out where they need to do something different? Yeah, it's a great question. I will say that work will keep my firm and other firms like mine busy for a long time. It is the work. And the faster leaders appreciate that, the faster they can move towards gaining alignment in their organizations, that it is a process of understanding what each person, what each team, what each division, every level, like what is needed and relationships at the heart of that. We can only end and gain alignment if we show the other that we know who they are, we know what they need, we know what's important to them, and we're able to find the intersection of that. So it's deep relationship work at every level. And the more we clue into that and work on that, then the faster everything else happens. Yeah. Influence is a really key component of that. Me, another one of those revelatory moments was in one of the McKinsey trainings I did, where we talked about 12 different kinds of influence. And because I think I naively up until that point thought the facts ought to carry the day. The facts carry the day for some people, but Um, for a lot of other people, it's very different. And to your point, it's like, you've got to know what they need, right? That's right. That's right. So the work is in understanding what motivates each person, stakeholder, and doing the work to understand that and being aware, self-aware enough that what motivates them may not be the same thing that motivates us. And so if we enter the, the conversation and the dynamic with the assumption of what works for us works for everyone, we have to enter that conversation with a sense of empathy and an openness to the fact that our life trajectories have shaped each of us in lots of different ways, and we have to figure out what's going to work for that person. Do you literally go to the point of doing like stakeholder analysis, like person by person or? Oh, absolutely. Literally, we'll take a look at a particular issue or let's just say I'm helping a person think through, like maybe they're shaping a new strategy for their organization. Yes, we are mapping out who are the major stakeholders, who needs to be influenced, having them do the work of reflecting on what's important to that stakeholder, what will resonate with them, helping them reshape the message to map to that particular stakeholder so that they're 
pulling the right messages and not just going with a blanket discussion or conversation. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of detailed work, but that's actually the way we like to work. It's let's take a problem that you're currently working on and let's work that live, right? Yeah. As you're going through it and build in a series of exercises and practices that help them along in what their day-to-day work is. So absolutely, we get into the detail <laughs> with, with our leaders. Yeah. And that process of working through a live example makes it a lot more tangible, right? That's right. You that I think it's just rather than it being a conceptual exercise, yeah. you know, it becomes much yeah. more about what you've got to wrestle with right now. That's right. And then it's, then it's a great opportunity to be able to uncover the things that might be blocking the leader. So let's just say that they come in with the sense of, because I'm the most senior person, this they should lean towards me. And the answer is yes, in general, your team should. But if you enter the conversation with that mindset, you're really going to be missing an opportunity. Hear new ideas, they influence them in a way that's positive. So again, they have to understand what's the mindset that they're going into that conversation with and how might that mindset really help or hinder what's needed in getting buy-in on the particular strategy. There's a ton going on right now, just particularly with labor markets being pretty tight still just around talent. What do you see the best leaders that you work with doing in terms of recruiting and developing talent in their organizations? The thing about managing talent and best practices is that one, it has to, the talent strategy has to support and align the strategy. So the best organizations aren't doing those things separately. They're saying, what is our strategy and what's the talent that's needed? What are the skills that are needed? What are the behaviors that are needed to help us get there? So there's real alignment between those two strategies. And that's the primary aspect to it. But they're also, they have regular routines for how they're really understanding their talent, right? They're doing talent reviews. There's measurement along the way so that they know who their high potentials are. They're able to identify them. They map a strategy that goes from beginning to end, right? From when the person joins to the whole trajectory of their career in the organization, they're having in a way that is building and developing consciously. Yeah. They're also thinking about not just the individual, but the team or the division. And so it's a multi-layered approach to thinking about talent strategy. So the best organizations are thinking about it in those ways. And I would say one of, one of the most important things is that they're not outsourcing that to somebody else. Like the senior leaders are intimately involved in talent. They are mentoring, they are developing, and they know what is happening and they're guiding it. And that is a critical piece. If you think that you can fully outsource that, you might be in trouble at the end of the day because it needs you. It needs you as a leader being really involved in that process. How does that affect the role of the leader versus or the leadership team, I'll say, versus the role yeah. of HR? Because I think a so, lot of people would listen to the answer you just gave and say, well, that's not like what the place I work in is like. I've always wondered how that dynamic works in the best of companies around the dynamic between HR. The role that HR plays really varies in organizations, but in the best organizations that we see, HR is playing a much more strategic role in the development of strategy. And they're guiding a lot of that. They're doing it in sync 
with the senior, the CEO and the other members of the senior leadership team. So you need that, you need that strong connection, not making HR just the tactical player in this. HR is involved in the strategy and HR is helping to define what that means from the standpoint of what do we then do for our talent strategy, but it is in constant communication with the leadership, the rest of the leadership team. They're bringing in those individuals throughout the various things that they're doing. If it means a particular individual, they may be fostering one-on-one conversations with a particular executive and the CEO. They're bringing, they're bringing the senior talent into any training sessions that they're doing so that folks are really hearing about the strategy from those individuals directly. And they're fostering conversations so that people are able to make a connection between what they're doing every day and what the strategy is. And when that connection isn't there, then you really lose alignment in the organization. And that's when organizations get very splintered. CEOs and leadership team think they're doing one thing, but the rest of the organization is doing something else. The message really has to come from them with the HR team being integrally guiding, leading, and making sure that those connections are happening. Decision-making is a big part of the leader's role. What do you see in the leaders that you work with in terms of their conviction, right? And how they find the right level of conviction to be able to make the big decisions and the tough decisions when that's what's required. Yeah. You mentioned how difficult of an environment it is right now. And you're absolutely right, is requiring senior leaders to make decisions with certainty when there isn't certainty in a lot of ways. They have to get comfortable with that. That, And that's why I say understanding their own risk tolerance underlies that. They have to understand. They have to understand their own decision-making style, right? We all have some tendencies there. Some of some leaders might move into just this paralysis, wanting more and more information because they need to feel that certainty. And they have to be able to pause and say, what is the decision-making style that I need right now? How do I get comfortable with the fact that I'm not going to know everything, but it needs to be good enough? And so those leaders that maybe have more sort of perfectionist tendencies, they struggle with that. But if they're aware that they do that, then they can push themselves. And as a coach, I can push them to say, how do you think you're landing right now in terms of your decision-making style and what is required? What do you think you need to do to move that faster? What's the action that you can take? And what's the worst that could happen if you just move to this particular decision and really helping them think through that so they can make decisions faster. And that's a key aspect of leadership right now is decision-making and aligning that to the pace that's needed. You you said earlier that leaders can't go it alone, right? It was maybe in a slightly different context, but a big part of what you need to do as a leader is to make the organization not so dependent on you personally, right? How much do you find yourself working with clients on the management systems, the processes, the the culture, the the things that make more self-sustaining and less dependent on whatever brilliance or greatness that they bring to You're absolutely right. Those those systems are critical. And it's not unusual that we're helping them think through what's their succession 
management processes, for example, and what do they look like? How do they deepen those things? It is always about how are you being able to pull up folks, not just yourself, but others so that there are folks there's a, at every level. The management processes are critical and we can't separate them. I will say a lot of the work is how do you make sure that the processes are integrated and having them think through, again, what is the strategy and what's the integrated systems that are needed to support that particular strategy and have they really integrated those systems. So we do sometimes go pretty deep in a particular area if we see that there is an alignment and help them think through what is the action that they can take to deepen the alignment that's needed. How common is it for you to get into non-work stuff in the course of coaching? Oh, it's very common. When you're coaching someone, you really have to coach the full person. And as much as we all like to think that we can compartmentalize our lives, really hard to do that. If something isn't working right at home, I can guarantee you, even if you think you're hiding it, you're bringing it in. And at the senior level, that is actually really critical, right? From the moment you're walking in the door or showing up on the screen, your body language tells all. And you have to learn to have some ways in which you can acknowledge what's happening and let go. If you think that you've got to have these completely separate lives, you can try, but it's difficult. And I don't think it works very well. Our conversations often bleed into into other areas. And it's also not unusual that while we're working on something that is work-related, that the benefit of that bleeds into the home. So we've been thanked by many wives, husbands, partners for how whatever they've worked on has helped them on the home front as well. <laughs> I'm sure that's the case. What do you do to help your leaders get better at course correction? Nothing goes perfectly the first time. <laughs> Rarely goes it doesn't. And helping them understand how well they recover. Again, it's this, what is this mindset that they might have around perfection and making mistakes? Can we shift that mindset from I made a mistake to I just learned something. I just learned something and this is how I'm going to pivot next time. And we all come into coaching with some, again, some mindset that's been shaped. And honestly, you've got to look deep and sometimes deep in the past and understand those things. And I'm not shy about letting someone know if I think deeper work needs to happen with a therapist. I'm not a therapist, but understanding the patterns that shape us around, do we think of something as I, where it's very personalized and that's not helpful as we need to be agile and pivot. And what are the things that have shaped that, that mindset? How do we acknowledge it, know it, but then move on to some different mindset that's really going to help us be able to pivot faster, which is I'm the CEO, but I've got a team, right? We make decisions as we make decisions that are informed by the team. So we all own this and it's work that we all have to do. And the only mistake is making the same mistake again. And not learning. Yeah. And not learning. Exactly come back to some of the sort of the here and now kinds of things that people are talking about. One of them is certainly that you've got a lot of generations in the workplace today. You got yeah. Baby boomers all the way to Gen Z. Are you hearing anything from your clients in terms of how they're managing across so many different generations with so many different viewpoints and perspectives, yeah. life views and all of that? 
It certainly is impacting most organizations. I mean, we haven't seen this kind of breath and it's extremely challenging. And I suggest one of the things that they get stuck in the challenges of that, I what would you be doing if this were customers? Yeah. What would you be doing? If it were customers, you would be understanding each segment of the customer population and figuring out who they are, what they need. There'd be this deep work to understand each segment so that you can serve it better and figuring out again, the alignment and say, bring that same mentality into the company and make sure that everyone is well-versed on of each of those generations, but also be careful not to stereotype, right? Yeah. That sometimes we can get into Gen Zers need this. They want the career mobility faster and the that they want the organization to be in work in socially responsible ways. Yes, there are some generalizations, but be careful, right? You got to understand the individual. We can get in trouble with some of those generalizations and we have to personalize our approaches more in the workplace, right? But again, what would we be doing if we approach this? Like, how do you get a team to work? It's a lot of the same work. It's Yes, we have lots of different diversity, right, on the team. We Diversity of thought, diversity of background. We need to have a common agreement on what our expectations are of one another. And those agreements can't just lean towards one person's view or one type. And so we have to do that same work in our yeah. organizations to say, what are the expectations that we have from all? So that even though we've got these different generations, we can work effectively together. I think top organizations are intentionally putting different generations together so that they can learn from one another, right? There's a lot of really good learning that happens by appreciating what the different generations can bring to bear. So how do we harness that as opposed to just seeing it as a problem that we have to fix? It's not a problem. It's an asset if we learn how to really manage it, like diversity management problem. And we only get better at it if we understand that diversity and we really work to harness the power of it. Remote work, another big topic. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. What kind of conversations are you having with your clients about remote work, hybrid work, getting people back in the office, why it matters? They uh, are really struggling and you see the generational issues play out here, right? Where those who grew up a certain way at a certain time frame believe that you got to be in the office. Now, I think certainly the pandemic loosened some of that up, but you still have folks who are like, they've got to come back in and they're learning because this is the younger generation does want more flexibility and not everybody's coming back. And I think the reality of that is is looming large in organizations right now. And I think they're understanding that hybrid is, they just have to learn how to work in that way, in an ongoing fashion, and it is not easy. And they have to make the organization an attractive place to want to come in, and that's going to look different than what it looked like before. So I would say the organizations that are doing the best job are, they're testing, they're trying, they know they don't have the answer, but they're piloting different things to see what sticks. And I think it's that mentality that's going to help them along as they do this 
versus the folks just have to come in. There are realities around it. We all know that as much as we say there will be fairness in a process, it can be difficult to to be fair when you don't see somebody, when you don't interact with them regularly. And I think there are valid concerns about who's going to get promoted and who's not. But organizations, the more they talk about this openly, the more they figure out, okay, yep, there's a reality around how that could happen. What are we going to do? to prevent that? How are we going to bring new and different information into the discussion? How are we going to deepen our relationship virtually to make sure that we're bringing in some balance? And they've got to think in that way. It can't be what we did before because we already know that it's not going to work. This too is hard, right? Analogous to what we were talking about earlier in terms of some ways it's easier to be the invincible, perfect leader, right? right? It was a lot easier to have a five-day office culture. That's right. (laughs) <laughs> and, and you knew where everybody was going to be on any given day, right. at least for the most part. It's a lot harder now in managing the different circumstances that people are wrestling with. And there are some are probably more real than others. Right. Legitimate. Yeah. But it's hard. I personally don't feel like I've got this one cracked in the organization I work in. And we've got people who came back in. We're doing three days a week. We got people who are not in three days a week. It's like this battle of wills. It is a battle of wills, but there's a lot of this where I say that they have to do the work of managing. And honestly, I think leaders got a little lazy at this before the pandemic. This involves getting to know your people. And they're like, what am I supposed to do? And you've got to, again, look at who you are, folks who are more extroverted, right? They struggle with all the virtual, but they may bring to the table a skill of reaching out that's going to be needed by everyone. And folks who have more introverted tendencies will have to challenge themselves around what's going to work for them in terms of reaching out to their people, because there isn't going to be that connection in the hallway. When they say, what am I supposed to do? Just randomly come like, yeah, (laughs) that is what you're supposed to do. You've got to reach out more and it has to be your responsibility to do that and assess how you're deepening the relationship with each person. So here again, when I'm working with leaders, I'm saying, let's take a look at your team and tell me about them. What is going to work for them? And let's map out how you're going to deepen the relationship with each person and what it needs to look like might be different based on that team leader, the different personalities and what's going to work for each person. But having a strategy for what it means to deepen a relationship is going to be pretty darn important. There's been a big theme in this whole conversation, Nina, about just being deliberate and thoughtful and detailed and you know, okay. thinking about the people. In the time we've got left, I want to talk a little bit about your background. So you started in consulting, you moved into executive search. Now you're doing executive coaching yeah. and leadership development. So how did your journey unfold from the days at Harvard and on there? I think most coaches would say that they fell into this work in some way, right? I think most of us, I know I certainly was not even aware way back when that this was even a thing, that this was a field, right? I didn't know anything about it, but I will say it was certainly informed by my years in strategy, right? And working with senior leaders, really enjoying that work, but recognizing that at the end of the day, I could spend all this time helping shape a strategy. But if I didn't have a person, if I didn't have a leader who could really drive that, 
that none of it was really going to matter. And so there was this sense of I needed greater meaning in what I was doing. I wanted to see greater impact. And to me, it was one leader at a time, making each person meet their potential. And so that challenge of how do I take the work of strategy that I was doing for organizations and say, what does that process look like if I'm working on an individual? What is their individual strategy? And that question became a really interesting one for me. And I went working at a strategy consulting firm to being head of strategy at an early stage organization to being at an executive search firm. But that executive search firm had a leader assessment arm. And I became really interested in that work. And I could see the importance of it. And then later they added a coaching arm. And I became much more interested in that work than I did in the search work. And I hired a coach. I hired a career coach at that point in time. I said, I want to get there, but I'm not quite sure. And actually, because I was in search, I knew how to do it. But I also knew that my daily work would take up a lot of time and I needed an accountability partner to be able to say, okay, Nina, you said you wanted to be here by a certain time. What have you done this week (laughs) to be able to make that happen? And so it was a very interesting discussion that although I had a lot of experience on the sort of career coaching side and had my own business for a number of years doing that, that I wanted someone who was going to be that accountability partner. And that is what helped me make the shift. I began doing some work at our alma mater, first on the career side, and then got some very quick experience on the executive coaching side because I was working in executive leadership programs, working with a lot of executives across the globe. And that deepened my experience and knowledge of the executive coaching and leadership development work very quickly. And then I had an opportunity to join up with my business partners, one of whom I had actually recruited back at my old strategy consulting firm, and they had been doing this work for a few years. I was looking to pivot, and we started talking over a series of years and around what I was doing, what they were doing, and there was a point where it just made sense for us to join forces, and that's what we did. And almost 20 years later, here we are. It's been a really good ride. I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, but it really is. What I am, but it's been a great fit. I had been in large companies and I always saw myself as this sort of large company gal being able to navigate the different areas and politics. But who knew the uh, sort of boutique size firm was a great fit, allowed me to manage my family and give me the room to manage my full life while also doing something really meaningful and important. So it's been a good fit. Who are your biggest influences? Oh, goodness. I tend not to zero in on any one one person because I think in doing this coaching work, you see the imperfections of, of it, right? And it's more of this is what I like about this person. And this is what I like about this person. But as I think about my career, there was a leader, one of my early strategy firm that I worked at. I, I think I got lucky. Like my sort of First meaningful experience with a leader was with a leader who had incredible self-awareness, incredible empathy, took the time to connect. I was just coming out of business school and this leader, every few months, he would tap in and wanted to know how I was doing personally. And we had conversations about what I wanted in my life and what he could do to help me along in that. So I think I saw this model of what really good leadership 
looks like. And I saw that early on and it was so impactful to me. I think I got lucky in a lot of ways by this individual. His name was Bill Copacino. He's no longer with us, but he was one of the most amazing mentors and leaders in, in my life. And it's great when you get those at any, especially great when you get them early in your career. That's exactly right. It helps your trajectory and it also gives you a reference point that a lot of people may never get. That's exactly right. And when they don't get that, and then I see them later on, it really is this aspect of needing to challenge them. It can be done in a different way. And what if we reframe what leadership could look like? What if we look at the dynamic tension that we can be both direct and empathetic, that we don't have to make this false choice of being one or the other? And what might that look like? What do you do to recharge your battery? Oh, goodness. For me, it is, I am self-proclaimed more introverted in style. And so for me, it's about being alone going for walks, just reading a book and more and more though connecting. So it's this, I need both. I need to have my alone time. I'm developing a pretty deep practice in meditation and mindfulness. That's really important to me. I find how critical it is in helping my clients and it helps me too. I'm running a business and I'm delivering work. All the stresses and strains that they're dealing with, I've got to deal with them too. And so I have to approach my work with a lot of the same disciplines. And for me, recharging means scheduling my alone time, but it also more and more means scheduling my time to to connect. And I think as we all get older, we recognize how important all of those important friendship connections with family members are and that they aren't going to just stay strong on their own. They need real work and tending to. Yeah. Very true. I won't admit getting older, but it's very true. Last question. If you were giving your younger self advice or giving anybody advice, what two or three things would you share the most taken away from all of your work over the years with so many leaders about what really matters the most? Yeah. Doing the hard work of answering that question of what really has meaning for us and what shapes purpose. Because at the end of the day, it is what we all have to answer. And the earlier we can start digging into that, then we can be more clear about what's the next right thing for us. I think when leaders don't take the time to really answer the question, what's meaningful to me, then they make choices that aren't a good fit for them. And then it's a big stretch in how they have to work and lead. The closer they can align to what gives meaning, then it's all easier. And so do the hard work sooner is what I really recommend to everyone to just make the whole process and journey a little bit easier. It's very good advice. Thanks for doing this, Nina. Appreciate it. We covered a lot of ground. I always I go back and watch the video partly to edit and partly to really better internalize it. There's a lot here that I will definitely be going back and doing that internalization when I rewatch. Fantastic. Again, thanks for having me. It's been a great yeah. conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it and have a great day. Take care. It was great having Nina on the show today to help us get inside the mind of leaders with whom she works to talk a little bit about her own journey and development as well. If you're ready to take control of your career, visit pathwise.io. If you'd like more regular career insights, you can become a Pathwise member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks. Have a great day. 
Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at Pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.